Welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Rosanne Simoni, who is the General Counsel for the North America of Covco. Now, I've had some inspiring guests on this podcast. I feel incredibly grateful. And of course, you're not meant to have any favourites, but sometimes it's a little bit like podcast episodes, a little bit like your children. Sometimes, in some circumstances, you do have favourites. And I have to say, this is one of mine. Uh, Rosanne has an incredibly inspiring story. You know, he arrives in the US as a 20-year-old from Albania, no language skills, no money, puts himself through university, through law school, and has become an incredibly inspiring and impactful leader. What was clearly a pivotal moment in his life as a 13-year-old in Albania when the um, uh, uh, when the wall has come down, the Berlin Wall's come down, and James Baker, the current Secretary of State at the time, visits Albania, and in his speech, he utters the two words, freedom works. And Rosanne talks about the impact that those two words had on him and how they play out now in the way that Rosanne mentors and has himself impact on others, particularly, you know, young and aspiring law students. There's just so much to love about this story. I think the episode goes for about 45 minutes or close to 50 minutes. And let me tell you, uh, Rosanna and I, after the episode, continued on for another half an hour or so. So look, I don't want to give too much away. I'm going to let you get straight into it. So in the usual fashion, sit back, chillax and enjoy the episode. Rosanne Simone, fantastic to have you on the show. Welcome aboard. I'm looking forward to our discussion. Thank you very much, Jim. I appreciate your invite and I'm looking forward to chatting with you as well. You've got a really, we've all got a story, but you've got a, a particularly interesting one. So take us right back um, to, uh, take us right back to childhood. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, uh, and by the way, uh, coming coming from you, that's 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 that means a lot to me. So, oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I am what I would call the personification of the American dream. I'm uh, just yeah. a kid who moved to the states at the young age of twenty with a bag of clothes, a couple hundred dollars, and limited English skills, or as someone referred to me as ESL skills, which is English as a second language skills. So, yeah. And I immigrated, and I started from the from the ground up. My first year in the states, I worked two jobs uh, full time, seven days a week for 365 days. Saved some money and enrolled myself in college. I ended up graduating uh, with a degree in economics with the highest honors from uh, St. Louis University, which is a private Catholic Jesuit institution in St. Louis. And then I uh, enrolled at Washington University in St. Louis School of Law. Uh, which is a well-known institution here in the States. And uh, I worked and went to law school against the advice of all the uh, law school advisors who told me that given my background, the English as a second language, skills and everything else in between, that there is a high likelihood I might not be able to make it through law school. And I said, well, who's going to pay my bills? And so I 
<laughs> I ended up uh, going to school and working at the same time, which was an epic undertaking. Now I look back and I say to myself, what was I thinking? I, I'm not really sure what I thought at that time, but I was just young and young and just sort of unaware of, of really what I was about to undertake at that time. So You were 20 when you first arrived in the US, presumably a couple hundred bucks, uh, some clothes on your back. It's an incredible story. I mean, you've, you've come from Albania, so what would have been a challenging regime, you've picked yourself up. Did you come alone? Did you have family? Tell me. I, I had a family from my mom's side, but I came alone initially, and my, my parents followed later. Um, and uh, at that time, we had been just uh, right. I was born and raised in Albania, as I said. So I, I basically grew up, I was 13 years old when the, the, you know, the Berlin Wall fell. So I was a fairly young kid and left a huge impression on me. And so... Yeah, I was just a kid with a dream of, of, of yeah. And, and, what a uh, story. Fast, fast forward, and I, I managed to graduate from law school. I did fine. Uh, I, I took three bar exams in a row uh, in, within a span of two years. I moved to different states, and uh, I practiced law for a number of years. And here I am now, uh, my full circle after back and forth between private practice, in-house gig, back to private practice with an international law firm. I am now uh, where I was practicing M&A and business transactions, uh, general business transactions. I am now in-house for five and a half years with a global company as their uh, North American general counsel. So it was a hard road, but it was a road worth traveling. I always say it is always the hardest road that gives you the most learning and the one that in the long term that you are most grateful for. Nobody typically achieves anything great with an easy path. Nobody turns around and says, that was pretty easy. That was, I, I kind of just um, swanned along and achieved something that I'm incredibly proud of or um, where I've made a significant impact. That typically doesn't happen. Um, and it sounds like, Razan, uh, I mean, it is an incredible story, but one that you are clearly grateful for uh, because it, it makes you, you, and the pride and the learning that you look back now on. How do you think about, I don't know, I didn't ask you offline whether you've got children, but how do you think about being able to, I was going to say kind of recreate, that makes so much of who you are and your success. How do you think about when you mentor, let's say others, about the importance of that, sometimes the struggle, because that struggle is real. How do you think about that? It's part of my DNA, right? And so yeah. what I like to do is I, I like to look back at my experience and see what, what is it that I can do to improve somebody else's life, make it, make it better for them because I was the first in the family to go to law school, right? I was, here I was in the United States with no family members or anyone around me or anyone I knew for that matter that was in certain places in the society from a socioeconomic standpoint where I could look up to and say, hey, how can I do X, Y, or Z? So, and actually, you know, over the years, I've taken a special interest in mentoring because I think mentoring is such a critical component of what 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 can be as a, a difference maker in life. And uh, ever since I've been here at Kafka International, I have brought in 15 law students from my alma mater, Washington University of St. Louis School of Law, one or two a semester. I started it about two or three years ago. 
And I, I partner with the law school and they have an externship program. They come in in exchange for credit. They spend a semester with me. And what I do is spend a lot of time teaching them some of the most basic things or talk to them about what it means to be a lawyer, what it means to be an in-house lawyer, what does it mean to interact with X, Y, and Z. I give them the opportunity to, to and, and, and the freedom, actually, to, to connect with people at the highest level within the organization, globally and locally, because I want to give them the opportunity to learn on the go, and, and I want to give them the autonomy to think, to become the thinker, uh, because I believe that, uh, as as I'll tell you a little thing, James Baker, former Secretary of State of the United States, visited the, uh, Albania immediately after the fall of the Berlin Wall, like within a year or two of that, I think about a year. I remember he was standing in there and giving a speech, and he said in English at that time, which I kind of listened to, it was so simple, but it, it still resonates with me. And he said, freedom works. And to be honest, it does. And I continue to apply that statement to, to every day in my, in my daily work. So I give my students, my kids, as I call them, uh, and, and they're not kids, they're grown-ups, right? I treat them as grown-ups. I give them autonomy. Uh, I, I, uh, I give them ownership. Um, I, I give them uh, freedom. Uh, and, I, and I trust them because, and, and I allow them to make mistakes because by doing all of that, I allow them to flourish. I allow them to find themselves. I, I don't micromanage them. I, uh, I treat them as adults. I treat them as, as partners, as my colleagues. And, and as a result, I've, I've found that they deliver amazing results, amazing results. And, and they create amazing work product and they integrate themselves so quickly. And, and I've had amazing feedback from them as well in terms of their experience, which has prompted them to continue to talk to the law school and students keep coming and they're lined up. I mean, I am, I literally have students booked up all the way through the next, the next year because they all want to come in and experience something that they don't typically get somewhere else. I don't want to stifle innovation. I want to let them flourish. I want to let them be. I want them. I want them to practice, learn the practice of law, learn the ins and outs of, of the law, but in a way that's that's practical, logical, uh, creative, and and give them an opportunity to shine. And I think I can't tell you the other day, I I, I just had a, a, a law student from from WashU spending the semester with me here in the summer. I have two actually, but one of them is Sejun, and she's from from Seoul, South Korea. I left the South, uh, South Korea at, at a young age of 11, has been spent a lot of her time in Canada and now in the United States. Long story short, she was here and the, our global head of operations was here at the same time, Nicole uh, from Geneva, Switzerland, which is our global headquarters. And I paired them up, they went to visit one of our facilities in Chicago. So they ended up visiting the facility together. Long story short, they went and as they were visiting the facility, they found out that there was some sort of like from a, documentation standpoint, there was some sort of an issue with like the old way of handling sort of the, the document process from a compliance standpoint. So my student who has been around has been, has worked in South Korea at Samsung and some other companies and it's kind of like her mom worked in a startup in San Francisco and alike, comes up with a suggestion which is fully adopted and it's under consideration <laughs> by the global head of operations of a 50 plus billion dollar company, right? And they took her seriously because I gave her an opportunity. I said, go in there, be yourself, observe, 
provide your feedback and just be you, right? And I just, and I allowed her where in another place, I remember I was a first year law student. I, I didn't have a chance to be near a client. I know, you know, years ago, maybe things have changed now, but I, I, I doubt that significantly. And, and, but here I am just giving her an opportunity to just hang out with a global head of senior management person from a global headquarters and, and provide input. And then she came up with another suggestion afterwards. So th there are two specific suggestions she came up regarding technology and embedding technology and creating dashboards to simplify processes, to create efficiencies. And, and I got them from this fabulous wow. law wow. student that is yep. embedded with us and spending the summer with that. And she's only been here less than a week. Yep. So, and, and, and make sure she listens to this podcast because boy, is she going to get a kick out of that story. What a fantastic story. So tell me, Razan, what was it in your base, your training, your the history of your working that taught you how important it is to give young lawyers, students, the freedom, the freedom that, that you're talking about, the freedom to, to, to think, the autonomy to think, um, ownership um, to fail, what was it that made you think this is so important and this is this is how I'm going to pay something back or say something forward? Because typically that's what happens. It's your own personal experience that gets you to drive um, how you're going to teach others or how you're going to empower. You're absolutely correct, Jim. Yep. And, and, yep. and, and it, it comes from two sources. One is actually... I actually was young when the Berlin Wall fell. I was 13, but I felt it. My, my mom's family was persecuted during communism. We were watched. There was no freedom. And so I grew up with this sense of sort of like being overseen by everything, an authority, the big brother. And so I had this suffocating feeling growing up as a kid. I felt suffocated. I couldn't do X or Y or Z. I was a creative kid. And God forbid that I displayed something other than what was considered normal at that time as, you know, during the educational process or during whatever that, the, the, you know, the institutions thought at that time. If I showed some level of creativity, autonomy, they wanted to, they wanted to kill it. And I hated it. And I was, I felt suffocated. So I was, so it stayed with me as very organic. And, and, and so when I moved to the States and I thought, here I am in a great, the, you know, the theoretically is the greatest country on earth, right? Theoretically, of course, there are amazing countries. Australia is a great country, right? So we know that, but very similar in nature. But so, and, and, and I, I was in a country that was free, right? And I, and I went to, you know, and I love my law school experience. I love my ability to sort of think and be creative and alike. But when I ended up going to law firms, I found myself stifled. I, I found that the partners were so or big big time managers and uh, micromanagers and i actually had a, a similar experience in my first in-house gig where my immediate boss at that time was such a micromanager and everything i did i i wasn't able to to, to breathe so to speak i and and it, it and i was like why why i can do so much better if you just let me do x y or z i can i can give you solutions to all these problems that i see and, and i can flourish so to speak and and i felt like these experiences combined together gave me this sort of like idea that i i, I promised myself if i'm ever am in a position where i have an opportunity to manage 
or I have an opportunity to make a difference in somebody else's life, I will. Because And I want, I'm going to be authentic. I'm going to be who I am. And I'm going to lean on my foundation. I'm going to trust people. I'm going to allow them to make mistakes. And as long as they're not fatal mistakes, they're teachable, those are teachable moments. And that's how we learn by making mistakes. And I don't, I doubt that that partner who is a big time partner at the biggest law firm, one of the biggest law firms in the world, or that micromanager, that, that micromanagement, that they didn't make mistakes, right? I mean, like we all make mistakes. It's just a question of how and when and how it sort of received and how it's taught, right? And and so I made a promise to myself and here I am in a position now where I can make that, that, that difference in somebody else's life. And I have surprisingly with you can do very little uh, for people and surprisingly has huge effects leaves leaves large imprints in their lives i've got a student now who is a lawyer in shanghai china with a big british international law firm and she wrote to me the other day she sent me a text late in the evening when the shanghai markets open and she said hey boss she still called me boss she said I did X, Y, and Z, and I'm so proud of myself. And thank you so much because I just did what you taught me. It's so rewarding to get that, you know, it's 10 o'clock at night, right? I'm about to go to bed. I get this message. So rewarding. It feels so good. And so so I'm just happy. It makes me happy. If I can make the difference in somebody else's life, I'm. It, it makes my journey in this life, whether it's the lawyering aspect or the human aspect, so much better. So, Roseanne, I call that great leadership. Leadership, being able to empower others so others become better than they ever believed they could. That And your, your belief, that opportunity, that is, that is true leadership. That is how you spawn greatness in others. Um, so, so kudos to you. I listen to stories like that. And honestly, I want to be a much better version of myself. I do because it's that impact that you're able to have on others. And sometimes I think to my, you know, I, I sometimes I, I talk a good talk. I don't always walk it because I, a lot of times it's about me. Okay. But um, I think the kind of initiatives, Roseanne, that you and the impact that you're having on others so early in their career, and we've all felt it. We've all had that experience where somebody, early in our career has looked out and we never forget, we never forget the impact that it has. And, and and typically the effort from someone like you is not all that big, but the impact it has is profound. It impacts and lasts a lifetime. Couldn't agree more. And thank you so much for the kind words, by the way. It means a lot coming from you, but uh it, it, it really it really is uh, a little bit of a commitment can look can go yeah. a long way and students that come I'm, I'm now a chair of legal mentor network which is a, a 51c3 organization that's uh, a national organization that basically connects uh, lawyers with law students or junior lawyers and, and pairs them together based on profile and alike and and you and you do some mentorship in, uh, outside of the program that I have in here, I'm the chair of the Chicago chapter. We're putting together a program. I've, I've, and now I'm, I'm, I've got five mentors that mentees that have signed up that uh, with me. And I spend 30 minutes, and they come from different socioeconomic backgrounds. And sometimes it's just telling them X, Y, or Z, something that's simple that they may not be aware of, a particular website, or making a connection, or 
showing something that's that you think is so simple, so straightforward. But basically, when I was in their shoes, I, I wish I had someone who told me X, Y, and Z. They're maybe they're the first lawyer in their family. Maybe they want they want to understand what it means to, to, to go in house to work for a global organization, or what what it means to go, you know, how to interact, how to approach. Uh, a partner at a big in a big city in a law firm. How to write that cover email, right? Yep. And how to approach them in a way that 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 doesn't make it sort of that, that they will ignore it and hit the delete button or whatever. Whatever you can yeah. do to yeah. make a difference in their lives. I mean, it, it's 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 huge, and, I, and 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 it gives you satisfaction. I mean, I think it's also personal. It's all about relationships and humans, and and I think life as I've come to learn it. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not that old. I'm, I, I view myself yep. fairly young, but I, I, you know, I've, as the more I go into, and I'm into my, I'm finished my 18th year of practicing law, but what I've come to find out is it's not just about no. the job. It's about the relationships and the people and the human aspect that makes a difference in your life it, and it increases does. your quality of life, I think. Well, well the, the, the single most important determinant to a, a happy life is the level of human connectedness that you have, your own family, uh, your community, the relationships you have. That is the single most important. To, I mean, you even look back at the, I uh, can't remember the official name, but the Harvard study, which is the, long, the longest longitudinal study there is. It all comes back to personal connections and, your, and, and the, the relationships that you have developed. Uh, loneliness is a killer. It's awful uh, in terms of both mental health um, and, and and longevity too. But if you can learn that lesson early in life and build those connections and recognise it's not actually just about you, it's about the impact that you have on others and that's how you make connections. And that, to me, if you learn that early, um, you're, you set yourself up for... Um, for a, a, a fulfilling life. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. I love but that. The, we could talk about that for hours. <laughs> We're not going to. I'm I gonna, agree. <laughs> uh, okay, talk talk a little bit about your current role. Um, uh, you're the um, the most senior legal officer at, at Cofco. I've got to say, I didn't actually know about Cofco, so a little bit about that. And then I'm going to ask you, what are the kind of, what are your priorities as the chief legal officer at Cofco, um, and I'm gonna, yeah, and we'll do a bit of a deeper dive there. But tell us a little bit about that and your um, your current priorities as the CLO. Cofco International is a global commodity trading company. We sell, trade, process, buy, store, and ship commodities all over the yep. globe. We are present in six continents. We have eleven thousand five hundred employees, roughly globally. Twenty twenty one numbers. We haven't released the twenty twenty two numbers yet. Are 48 billion in revenue globally. So we are a major player in the ag and food space and other things. So think, for example, Starbucks packs their stuff in the U.S. in in China through through Kafka. Coca Cola has entered the market through Kafka. Just to give you a couple of examples. Yep, stuff yep. I'm not Kofco. sure I'm going to let you call yourself a startup, but I'll, I'll let that one just slide for now. <laughs> it's a startup in the sense that it's the first international uh, platform and. These two companies came together, you know, six years ago and merged together. So in, in that sense, and very much, it's like a startup. So 
the fun part about that is that I I was at the I was outside counsel to the company uh, and I embedded with them for a period of time, and that led to a job offer I can refuse. So here I am I, uh, in in Chicago. I now have two other lawyers that I've hired since. Let's talk about one of my favorite topic, one of everyone's favorites, current topics right now. Marrying the old with the new, um, adoption of technology and impact of language learning models like ChatGPT um, and other AI initiatives. How do you think about that, Roseanne, um, and the impact that are you uh, going to sit on the sidelines for a little bit, just see what happens? Are you diving right in? Are you dipping your toes? And, how, and so what are you doing now and how are you thinking about it longer term? Sure. Uh, first of all, conceptually, uh, I love it. I yeah. am. I, 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 Why I, does that not surprise me, Roseanne? <laughs> Why does that not surprise me? Go on. I, I understand the concerns that are being spewed out there, but I think just like everything else that's new in life, you know, everything has to has balance and everything has to be used responsibly, right? Just because it's out there doesn't mean that you need to go crazy and nuts about it in a way that's illogical and irresponsible. But on the other hand, and, and as lawyers, we have the, the duty and the responsibility. We have ethical obligations, right? And professional responsibility to adopt, to look at something and say, does it make sense for my client and will it work? And it can I use in a way that's responsible? without breaking the law, without stealing somebody else's IP, without yep. being an idiot and a fool, essentially, and just citing something that comes out of, you know. Uh, That's right, without uh, without checking, uh, checking it. Checking it. I mean, seriously. <laughs> yes. That's, that story has had, it's had so much airtime, but for the wrong reason. For, absolutely, okay. I couldn't agree more. And I, I think yeah. I think the headline should be, it should be about the lawyer and not the technology. It's Correct. not technology's Correct. fault that the lawyer did what he did. But when we're a little afraid of technology, we blame it. Just like everything else in life. Correct. Yeah. Just when like everything scared, else. You're not sure. Let's blame it. Absolutely. Uh -huh. So I love it because I think technology will give us an opportunity to discard with old ways of delivering yep. legal services, yep. make it more rapid, more quick, quicker. Basically, what I want is I want an app that's embedded in my phone where I can look any legal question at any time, at any moment, on any subject matter with certainty, or at least it gives me some concept of what, what that issue may or may not look like. At, so I can quickly form an opinion or create some idea about something. If I'm in a meeting and within the board of directors, somebody raised a question about antitrust law or something that I'm not an expert, I'm a generalist, right? Yeah. But I want to quickly pull it up, look it up and have an answer within a matter of 60 seconds that gives me some concept of like, what am I looking at from an issue perspective? What are some of the roadblocks? How can I provide my two cents in a way that's logical and appropriate, yeah. but without you know, instead of saying, I'll get back to you. Back and to then you. I, and then you go back to your desk, you, you write an email to the outside counsel, then, you know, you wait for their memo, then it comes in like multiple pages, and then you find the, the conclusion somewhere in between, and, and you've got to sift through, and then, you know, whatever. And that's inefficient. I want something that's efficient, that can we can rely on, and that we can quickly chime in, because speed is important. I mean, we are living in a, you know, a part of a global company. We are in six continents. 
we need to be able to provide legal services quickly and we need to be with the time so we are constantly on the call as and we just need to be able to to plug in and play quickly and you don't have time for i'll get back to you later at some point that's not going to become acceptable nobody's going to say you don't have the time you need to be an expert in everything and anything and you don't have the time and and so i love that aspect i want that and and so then i can spend my time and instead of us doing research and writing and all this other stuff on and use my brain power to solve other bigger issues for the company, whether it's strategy or business development or inter, 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 intersection of law and other, right? And, and become that trusted advisor for the company that can wade in on a number of different ways using our brain power. Lawyers have a lot of brain power and utilize in a way that's more efficient and it's, it's more and it's and, and yields greater results and 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 and, and spurs growth and development. Yeah. And so that's the idea. I think this is a game changer. And I think the, so some of the old values that I think are gonna remain, right? So you have to continue to be professional. You have to continue to deliver, uh, you know, legal service in a way that's succinct to the point, logical, appropriate, competent. But what we want it with the new is rapid. Yeah. yeah. Now, quickly in a way that makes logical sense that you embed it with technology so that you can utilize in a number of different ways to deploy technology to your advantage so it's the marriage of the old with the new that's what i call it and i love it yeah so roseanne my strong sense is your wish is going to be the world's command and it's going to happen how long it's going to take i don't know but i actually don't think it's that far away um and the level of accuracy over time. I always say the first time that app is released, that first draft, it's the it, first draft and it's okay, but don't worry because the next update and the next update, that first draft is going to be coming second draft. That's going to get closer and closer to that 80%. And I can live with that 80% because we've never been able to get actually better in any event with a, with a month of research and the 12 page memo. We never got better than 80% anyway. You and I are completely aligned in the way the world is heading. Um, so to, how do you then think, how does that impact um, the legal profession, particularly on the law firm side and the relationships um, you and other general counsels are going to have um, with their law firms? How do you think? Because we know what the model is. The model is essentially doing all of that work, that drafting, that research to come up with the answer, a lot of which is based on time as as the currency of value. And I've said before, I think that um, language learning models will destroy the concept of time as a currency of value, because all of that generative work, something will take it over. I couldn't agree more. I, um, mm. What I believe is that actually I have a counterintuitive sort of like uh, uh, conclusion to this, which is it'll actually improve my relationship with outside counsel. And I tell you why, because there is tension sometimes between in-house legal departments and outside counsel, because there is a lot of cost that comes in that sometimes you think, man, 
I know they did that, but it was inefficient and it's not their real fault per se. We just live in an era when not everything is sort of like perfectly aligned. And so there is tension, right? We've got pressure internally to reduce cost, manage cost. And, but on the other hand, they, uh, want to continue to deliver service in a way that that doesn't change their model right so i understand that but i think there's a lot of law firms that are at the, uh, the you know uh, the avant-garde in other words they're trying to embed technology uh i think uh the world is going to change internationally i know the big four accounting firms and others are already quote-unquote providing legal services in the u.s we still have a little bit of an outdated model model which is like we're protecting our profession, right? We don't want law firms and others to marry with, uh, you know, consulting and other big four accounting firms and sort of provide that uh, uh, hybrid model yet. Um, but I think by removing the tension of worrying about these, 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 these matters that may not be the most efficient way to deliver the legal services. You, you, you're getting other. So what I want to do is I want to utilize my the brain power of the partner in charge on a, a you know a, a complicated M and A transaction that involves multiple layers, very nuanced. It's complicated. Utilize their brain power to focus on like the big issues, right? The most important issues instead of worrying about legal research and writing. And so by doing that. You build. You, you actually are working closer together. You are solving bigger problems. You are doing bigger transactions, without the cost, you know, of the low-hanging fruit. And so you feel, as a GC, that you are getting value from your outside counsel, from your trusted partner, and in return, they will feel like they are delivering. And the relationship was strengthened. I think it's counterintuitive, but it's true. So it's wrong to think that this will lead somehow in some open conflict between in-house legal departments and law firms. At the end of the day, humans are not going to be replaced. Transactions require a number of different aspects. I was an M&A counsel. I mean, it's not just drafting an asset purchase agreement. It's also who, you, who your counterpart is. How do you negotiate with a Japanese or a, you know, uh, a Norwegian or Finnish or German counterparty and how, how do they perceive sort of like, how do you resolve conflict should it come to, to you know, to conflict? And then there's a lot of nuance in, you know, managing people. And I think what we need to think about is lawyers becoming these trusted advisors that provide not only legal uh, expertise, but also something beyond that. Uh, I, I, I think that counterintuitive line, I think is absolutely right. I, I think there will be so though some adjustment that to me, there has to be some adjustment on the law firm model so that there's not so much reliance on that, the drafting work, the work that is going to disappear. But I never, ever bet against law firms and their profitability because incredibly smart, driven people Get find a way to work out how they're going to deliver the best value to their clients. And they will readjust, my view is they'll readjust that model so that they're focused on perhaps even charging more, but that's okay because you're happy at that, the higher level work, that real strategic, your apps, that is value add, and you're, you're happy to pay. So I think there's actually going to be a bit of a, uh, if you like, a bifurcation. So where you a lot of that lower level work actually goes away or they can't charge for it, but the really high level, you can charge premium. 
I agree, but I also think that uh, they will. Uh, there's a lot of law firms that are now uh, trying to embed technology, develop uh, alternative products uh, yep. for yep. for delivery of, of technology, legal services in, in a way that's that's more modern, so to speak. And and then there will be. I think I have a sense that I don't know if it's true or not, but I have the sense that there'll be law firms out there wanting to acquire companies like yours. Uh, yep. uh, and 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 saying okay what's in the marketplace who yep. are the players what are they providing have an assessment and sort of understand should i acquire them because i think uh, my clients may 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 want a you know a, a, yep. a, a streamlined yeah the delivery of legal services where i can offer multiple product lines and i can and i can offer different models and a combination of any or, or or both because i think generally speaking i uh, well, I'm, I'm looking at chat gpd right now I've, I've tasked actually my summer intern which is a fabulous smart gal with taking a look at the whole holistic approach we're going to do a whole presentation on that and we're going to look at what is it how we can use it responsibly in what way we're going to show it to our to our teammates, and then we're going to put some guidelines on on its on its use, at least in North America, and then we're going to try to see pitch this worldwide as well for our company. But and then we're going to start looking at who are the providers of alternative services that may be able to provide value yeah. for us in a way that law firms, well, that specific model might be out, and we're yeah. going to need to look at at a variety of different ways. But we have just started sort of to like at least map it out and see what's out there, how, connect with the right people, have some presentations, uh, invite people, and we're gonna invite you, Jim, to do a presentation as well. Oh, lovely, fantastic. And, and, yep. and we're gonna have, we, we want to know what is it out there, how, why, educate ourselves, because ignoring it, yep. sticking your head in the sand is not the way yep. to go. Yep. <laughs> so we're gonna be left behind. <laughs> I have to say, I am incredibly encouraged um, uh, with their reaction, even some of the stuff that I, I, I um, mentioned on a previous podcast that uh, I had a webinar with Shannon Klinger just a, a week or two ago um, about the, essentially the title was Impact of AI on the, uh, um, the General Counsel on the in-house team. We had 1,500 people register. There's a couple of things that I think we're heading to. Technology in the past, I think for legal departments, has been a question of choice. Do we choose to adopt technology? Do we just wait? What I'm really encouraged with is it feels now that the a good section of the legal community, the in-house community said, uh -uh, no, it's no longer a question of choice. We need to learn, understand, and work out how we're going to leverage what is inevitable. And I think that is fantastic. And even the example you're just talking about right now, I think that is being multiplied thousands of times over across the world in in-house teams. And it's going, my view is it's going to lead to a, um, an exponential appetite and adoption of technology. And it's got the, the, the potential to change the entire industry um, uh, in, in the fastest, faster than we've ever seen it before. Yeah, and and the key to that, I think, is a, obviously you need to to create allies, right? And you have to educate with from within. I think part of my role is going to be okay. I view this, and I say it's it's easy to say we're going to ban GPT across the board, and like we're not going to utilize it. And but what I want to do is I actually want to I want to educate my leadership. I want to educate. 
the mid to senior managers and the senior leadership on what are the benefits, what are the costs. Uh, I want to educate. Uh, I want to team up with IT and risk and and others within the within the organization and say, hey, we're looking at this this stuff. We're trying to map this out. How can I help you, IT department, to sell an idea? Because I think that work by teaming up together and presenting this idea, and, and, and you know, we can have a buy-in from the, from the guys upstairs to give us the uh, you know the budget to implement it in a way and show them that it's a difference maker, that it's going to be a difference maker, that we're going to be left behind, and and you know, and it's going to be an interesting journey. I'll let you know how that goes. But yeah, I yeah, think, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> but I think, uh, and I I don't anticipate it to be easy without. Uh, this has a lot of speed bumps along the way. I anticipate there's going to be, of course, uh, you know, uh, there's always uh, the, sort the, of like some pushback the, the, of, the, with the is, new and, and, and everything. As I, as I always say, Razan, nothing worthwhile is easy, is ever easy. Nothing worthwhile and which leads to significant change, improvement, advancement. It's never easy. As you can probably tell, and everyone listening can tell, we could go on for hours. We better not. I usually have a couple of wrap-up questions. I'm going to, the first one I'm not going to ask you because the first one is usually what advice would you give to your 25-year-old self? I'm not going to, because I don't, whatever advice you would have given, you couldn't have had, I reckon, a better journey. But I will ask you a second, is there anyone, anything that keeps you up at night now? I've thought about this question. It comes up quite a bit, and I think I'm going to be honest with you, and I, I think I may be unconventional, but nothing. There is nothing out there that keeps me up. I think I have a sort of like my half, my glass is always half full. I, you know, what may be a disaster for a lot of people for me is like an opportunity. Uh, I've seen a lot in my life, so I don't, I don't get uh, shaken up very easily. So I think life is full of surprises, so much to offer. So I have this very positive, sunny outlook and sort of like whatever it is that's out there that is can be, it's an impediment and, you know, it's a it's an obstacle, whatever it is, some issue. I feel like I have the energy and the stamina and the ability to sort of overcome it. And I don't know if it's just because I believe in something that's higher than me, that's beyond me or what it is, but I just yeah. have this full-blown belief that, that, things are just going to work out if you do the right thing and you feel good and you've got a good conscience and you're doing the right thing in life then everything is going to work out for you and i may be naive but that's how i think and it's just uh, i i love that and it kind of reminds me it's something i try and live by and i talk about a lot and whether it's my kids people i'm trying to mentor um uh, life is not about what happens to you. It's about how you respond to what happens to you. And as as soon as you've worked out that you are always 100% in control of your response to whatever happens, as soon as you work that bit out and that the bit that you can't control, that to me is the most empowering revelation for you. And I'm not going to, I don't know if it's a secret, to happiness, but it's really empowering. And it sounds like to me, it's, it is really recognizing that whatever happens, you are in control uh, with the way that you respond. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's another way to put it, but I yeah. think it's the it's the same side of, uh, of the yeah. coin. I, actually, I believe that uh, you have the power uh, 
to do what you can within your means. Everything else, it's outside of your control. And it's how you react to it and how you adjust, how you take it and how you sort of internalize it and how you sort of, you know, put it in context and how you devise a strategy to to address it is the way to go. So I think... You know, I go to sleep thinking tomorrow is another, it's going to be another wonderful day and whatever challenge is out there, we're just going to tackle it. Me and my team and whoever else is around you in your life, your family, your friends, your colleagues, whoever else is around you. So, Razan, what what an absolute pleasure it's been having this conversation. I've learned a lot. You're an inspiring individual. Not that I need to encourage you, but I will encourage you to continue doing what you're doing and making the impact because you are impacting lives and the the next generation kudos to you You should be super proud thank you so much for joining us your words mean a lot to me and i was very happy to be here thank you listeners for tuning into the show for more please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player if you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show please connect with me Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.